I didn't hit record. <laughs> I've played this game. God damn it. It's okay. I get, I'm to, so he- glad I I noticed. get to hear my credits again. This is <laughs> God damn it. You were supposed to. God damn it. This is like the hundredth time I've done this. There was once, though, I didn't notice until I was an hour in to the podcast. We are episode with Jonah Ray. We really? record the first 40 minutes, and then we have to stop, and then it just never got hit again. And so we did another hour that <sighs> nobody ever heard. Did, did, you like didn't go back? Minutes, and then you didn't was, go back? No. Because you're like, it's, it's over. the show again. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, don't leave me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're going back because I forgot to hit record. Here we go. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, comic writer, producer, podcaster, filmmaker, comic book author, and record label owner, therefore must be tired person, Kyle Clark. Kyle hails from the great city of Los Angeles and co-hosts two podcasts you for sure heard of called This Is Rad and Everything Is Scary, as well as produces a massive podcast you for sure know, The Jackie and Laurie Show, starring Jackie Cation and Laurie Kilmartin. Kyle has several comedy albums out and is a wildly successful small business owner because he runs a comedy album record label, y'all. I better know Kyle from being a guest on his lovely podcast, This Is Rad, a few times where I scream about things I love or I pee off of boats. So that said, Kyle, since this is the very first time you have heard this intro and you didn't just hear it when I wasn't recording, how did you get into comedy? Why start a record label? How was growing up and see me? And can our audience come to your famous 4th of July parties? Tell us. And as I said before, the answer to all of them is yes. (laughs) Okay, great. I was trying to figure out how I could recreate all of it. I'm like, I don't remember words I said a minute ago. <laughs> uh, but I got to hear those credit line again twice. I said, it's good. Like, I got to hear my obituary. I'm like, all right, we're doing okay. We're doing great. Respect your death, less scary. Uh, <laughs> You'll leave a legacy, Kyle. I did. I started stand-up by taking, a, the, I was in a class in college, and the final for the class was you did five minutes of stand-up at the Ice House. Wait, what? Yeah. That's and insane. I was fulfilling... I was literally at that point just I needed to finish credits for my film minor and I was running out of writing classes you could take in the film program. That's hilarious. And so I took this class, had no interest in stand-up, but did well, kept getting invited back to perform more and more, did not understand what that meant at the time, (laughs) never thought for a second about being a stand-up comedian. I wanted to be a musician. Really? I was a rocker with the soul for rocking. (laughs) And literally, this is the level of bad at, at larger vision I have for things, is I'm getting interviewed by newspapers about my stand-up and instead I am plugging my shitty band <laughs> like it's it's it was, it's such a like weird thing looking back but it's also it's it's uh telling of most of me before I'll go with I don't know 31 sure. uh where I a perfectly good situation is happening and I'm like but what about this thing over here that does not want me at all <laughs> 
I know I'm being given lots and lots of encouragement here, and I complain and wish that I had encouragement, but I want it from this thing that is emotionally withholding. Jesus, Kyle, that's the We're most the same relatable person. Kate. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and oh, so, uh, so, so yeah. So, and then I started after. So then, music flamed out pretty hard. Wait, at what age? Like, where are you? Twenty-two. Oh, so you were okay. Uh, so you were done with it for a while. Yeah, I've subsequently gotten back in and done stuff again, but I needed to be done. I was in a band that ended badly after like five or six years of being very tumultuous, Ooh. and then did a folk record because I was like, maybe I'll do the punk rock retirement plan where I get into folk music. <laughs> Uh, and it and did okay. It wasn't fun the mm. way that being in a band was. Yeah. Like just standing there by yourself with the acoustic guitar. I was like, this feels like some bullshit. And also, like I'm really hitting the upper limits of my harmonica playing. <laughs> uh, I had one of those holders. It was fun. Uh, but so then I I had bought a, the 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 one of the nicest camcorders you could get. This with all the money I had gotten from like graduating and working for a chunk. And it literally was the same like a month before the Canon 5D came out and oh, filmmaking God. changed entirely forever. Yeah, it sure did. So I was always kind of behind the eight ball. And man, I sure spent $800 on a camera and it was the most money I'd spent on a thing. And those things were five grand when they came out. And I'm watching people and I'm like, oh, not only does my thing look low rent, I financially cannot possibly attempt to compete. Ugh. But I shot a bunch of stuff on it and it was fun. I learned a lot. But... Ultimately, it was one of those things where I'm like, this is not going to work. And I'd had a couple like setbacks and disappointments and, and just kind of hit a wall. And I remember like and then was also like in love with somebody and that didn't work out. Uh -huh. So like I had a project projects fall apart and and was sad about this. I'd say broken heart, but whatever. But like, I mean, that's honest. Sure. Um, but then <laughs> but like, I remember like driving home from this like terrible night. It's like five in the morning Oof. and I no, it's three in the morning and I have to be up at five 30 to go work the next day. No ma'am. All I can keep Ugh. thinking to myself is this'll eventually be a funny story. And by the time I got to my house, cause I was already a writer, like writing was the real love. Like music is the thing that I always liked to do cause it was fun and it, and it, there might be girls. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you write a short story by yourself and you're very few girls, <laughs> Not none, just very few. Yes, uh, the English department's still great, uh, but uh, you know, so so writing was the real love. So I still had that through all these things, and it was sort of just trying to find a venue for writing has been what I chased for such a long time. Because like I don't know why, but like I never fit like the the academic letters world. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really know why, but like it's, I mean, it's probably because I'm an asshole. But like or just or a goofy man. I mean, um, but like and that seems like such a serious world. And sure. I'm just like, you guys want to talk about Kurt Vonnegut and make fart sounds? <laughs> Uh, it's a guy with multiple English degrees. Uh, Smart dude. Wrote and, a couple books. Yeah. And so uh, putting, you know, and so started to think like, well, maybe, you know, stand up. I'm pretty sure that's free to start. Turns so out. So why don't I do that? It's the same reason I never got an improv is or Ugh. sketch writing is because like I don't have $400 every six weeks. That's insane. But you know what I have is enough for a Diet Coke at mm. an open mic. And I didn't know there were comedy open mics. So I spent the first maybe three years of doing stand-up almost exclusively as music and poetry open mics. Kyle. So the audience didn't know that they were even going to be laughing? I was the the comedy guy at a lot of mics. I was like the weird, fun, oddball guy who like told jokes. So this is the craziest thing. And this all ties into my working world because this is all part of the end of the, the teaching years as stand-up's going. But like there was a, this mic 
where it was musicians could do three songs. And so when I first went up and was like, can I do comedy? He was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's see what happens. And he's like, well, they do three songs. So you want to do like, I was 12 minutes enough. Holy God. And Holy for God. That is for like, an eternity for on like stage. 18 months when I was two years into stand Kyle. I got to do 12 minutes in front of a real audience every Tuesday. You were <laughs> right you now. I would good. kill most of my family to, to be get able to that do that. Yeah. And so, so, but so I got to fail a lot really fast. And then that here, I'll start with the ending and then we'll go back to the beginning. Yeah. But like, is that I, I, Start doing all that stuff. Uh, I am in grad school for teaching at that time. And so I am student teaching in South Central L.A. and then going to USC in the afternoon for for classes about all my teaching stuff. And then on the way home to see me from UCLA, I am stopping in Santa Monica and L.A. and the Valley and see me to do open mic spots so that I can get that done and then go home and then go to bed and then wake up at five and do the next thing. I did all my homework on Sundays and Saturdays I got to sleep. But then at five o'clock, I suited up and went out to Hollywood because by that time I'm doing L.A. comedy mics and I'm doing I found a run I could do from seven to four in the morning on Saturday night where I could do four or five or three or four mics. And so it was just like that was the you know, I would spend all week doing those mics to get something together and then go try it. Yeah, it was madness. Like you're, this is and you're not a coffee guy. Not really. Well, so, energy drinks though. I'm less uh, coffee now, but like, oh, I would poison my body with energy drinks for days. I mean you have yeah. to. It's, That's not uh, sustainable. No, but it, you know, it's for a couple of years you could make that run and then Then your brain starts bleeding and yeah. you're like, well, this doesn't work anymore. So so then we'll all the way back. Kay. So grad school. I do that stand-up set. Okay. Or I mean, this is college. End of college. I do that stand-up set. I keep getting pulled back. Again, clock how many times <laughs> I can't take a hint. <laughs> uh, I get invited to do, for all the success I have with the stand-up, I then am offered a spot in my college's graduate writing, film writing program. Holy just shit. Just based on my stand-up. You and were again, invited? I've been doing this for... Five Less minutes. than a year. Yeah, five seconds. I am wow. I am a newborn comic. I'm not uh -huh. even a baby comic. No. And you know, and I was a good writer. Like I so that was the film program was a real kind of revelation because like I'd come from the English department where everybody's fucking great. Sure. And then I go to the film department where no one has ever read a book. <laughs> and so I shadow wrote like twenty Rude. fucking thesis projects. <laughs> Holy uh, shit. And was and so yeah, just kind of, you know started doing that stuff and the, and the problem was like I wanted to do filmy stuff but I'm a pretentious dick so I was like where are we doing black and white and doing these things and everybody there's like I dress like Indiana Jones on the weekend I was like you're disappointing <laughs> not because there's bad with that but like I was really banking on pretentious film school I can go to Indiana Jones guy on my civilian time but so I joined this program and again it's really fun uh, I've never been before like I didn't know you could major in creative writing like Hello. I thought you had to go for something responsible in college yeah. and like I had a grandfather die so I got to and he left money and the money was just for education and wow. me my brother and my two cousins and I am the only person who ever used it the rest of them were like we're not interested a ton in school my brother eventually did on some stuff the other two were like no thank you so wow. I got the good fortune and the privilege of being able to go get educated with financial backing so it was this thing of like i did i majored in creative writing i minored in film but i also took a, everything i could i was like full full plate every semester because it's like wait a minute there's a place where i can just like learn bullshit mm -hmm. live in a building full of people who want to hang out and there are girls and weed <laughs> 
what is this magic land you speak of? And how do I stay forever? Long Beach, so everything around me rules. Amazing. And so, like, you know, was doing all that stuff in this grad program, and then. Uh, and I'd almost gone to grad school separately. Somebody had pitched me to go in for counseling to become a therapist. So I was oh. prepping that because I was like, okay, I can be a therapist and keep trying to get books written or something. And then this all stand up and all the movie stuff shows and I'm like, this is a world that exists. And I was like, wait a minute, what? What? <laughs> and so, so it was kind of a wild little run there. It was a lot of getting my shit figured out. I also was like a bit too heavy of a partier at the time. So mm. again, I'm just, just not, I'm a mess, but I'm a mess that's trying to figure out a direction to go in to do good work. So you were in film school. Yeah. hundred percent. That confirms it. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, so went through all that. Well then two weeks before I graduate, there's some scandal in the film department and the program is dissolved. What? Yeah. So two weeks before I walk, Kyle, they tell me, Hey, the program doesn't exist anymore. Sorry about your troubles on that. Good luck. It's the height of the recession. Cause it's 2009. Have on finding a job this summer. Kyle, wait, 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 yeah. wait. How can they do that after you've paid? Couldn't they have just waited till you guys walked? Uh, Yes. I think they let... So I got my undergrad, just my the pr- program I was taking, because I was taking this grad school class at there, the writing class, as an undergrad. So I was a grad student and an undergrad at the same time. That's insane. Uh, so I was still walking as an undergrad, and then it was just basically I had taken two two classes, or I think like a, two semesters worth of grad class writing classes. So it was like, it was yeah, I was out some money on it because everybody else was getting. Uh, I hadn't qualified for the scholarship you were supposed to get with it. Were you gonna then get like some certificate in it then? So you would have gotten been your would have been a full master's in writing, and then the program didn't exist. Uh, whatever, like so what, you would have had a dual. You would have had the undergrad and master's degrees in yes. the same. Gra- no, I would have had it in creative writing for English and then screenwriting for film. So I would have had two different discipline ones because um, I'd studied fiction primarily. How are you not still mad? I'm angrier right now than you are because presenting. Because the ride post that is so wild <laughs> that I kind of look at it and go like, okay, so what? I'd be like an aspiring filmmaker or screenwriter trying to go get a pitch meeting and then like Ugh. doing bad open mics in Long Beach. Like, <sighs> yeah. it's, you know, plus like I am two years away from the entire planet of entertainment changing. Oh, and sure. So, because if you think about it, like the jump, if you look back at like the media landscape of 2009 versus yeah. 2011, it is insane. Like we, we, I just finished Chuck Klosterman's the nineties, which I cannot recommend enough. I heard it's so good. It's, I've not I seen it. I love him anyway. Yeah. This is his best book by a fucking quantum level. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know if I could swear, swear no, or not. Fuck uh, you. Um, I, I thought it was, what am I thinking of? There's a series that it, I thought that well, that was the show. I the think sh- or something like that. Is it That's from his book? Uh, the, no, this is a full separate book he's done. That's just, it is basically looking at the nineties and how 1990 to 2000, what America's identity is there and like the parallels to now or the things that create the things that are now a thing, you know, or like the ways that we fail to understand the national consciousness of the time, because it's hard to like look at history and understand where people are thinking then because we know what we know now. Wow. So it's, you know, it just, it kind of covers the gamut of all the main stuff, you know, and what's interesting to me was just like going like, Oh, okay. Like, our our generation loves to go like this is unprecedented. Uh, don't <laughs> Can we you believe this? <laughs> and then you look back at twenty years ago and go like, Fuck, hey, this they were they were having a bad time then. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, we didn't invent rioting as it turns out. <laughs> we we weren't the first people to be mad about war. Oh, yeah, fuck. We had okay. Some conversation about some of these issues then. Uh, uh, <laughs> Just a couple. And it's uh, yeah. So that that was a really trippy thing. But 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 uh, you know it's 
put me also in the mindset. And I'm a real nerd about this kind of stuff, but is the like, you know, how everything affects everything else. Like sure. that's, I am a big, I love history, but I don't love it in like, a, ooh, the battles or all they had cool clothes. It's literally like, I find this reassuring because mm. my questions about the human race are like, okay, it's, this is, we've been They were asking this. them then, we're asking them now. And it's a relatability too. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so so I, I I look back at it, and I think I was about the the I used to have an early stand up bit about it is that then I went to go start applying for jobs, and Ooh. you know when I graduated high school, they're like if you don't go to college, you're fucked. Yep. And then I started applying for jobs, and they said I was too qualified because mm-hmm. they didn't want someone with a college education. I got rejected from Sunglasses Hut. No, you did as not for being overly qualified. So I kept getting rejected and rejected. I spent summer of 2009 broke and just sweaty walking around town looking for jobs applying to places putting my stuff to temp things and just i mean it's recession time deep recession so there's just nothing people are getting cut shit's getting shut down while i'm starting to go like don't you want to pay me minimum wage preview of coming attractions folks and, not to uh, be fatalistic but yeah. whatever man you fucking do what you gotta do yeah that's right and so eventually i got two callbacks and I took both. Ultimately, they literally got one call, and then later that day got the other call. And, Four. and so needed these two jobs. The two jobs were one was a uh, teaching assistant after school, edu- you know, person for a private school, which was seemed wild. And the other one was uh, Bevmo. Okay, now wait. Now I'm going to pause you All because. Right. Now, Kyle, uh, this is where... I realized I answered your second question. That's okay. No, 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 no. That's great, actually. Um, Because that was the intro. So just, I'm going to... Perfection. Put a a pin in those two jobs, because we are... I made a note. We're coming back to them. We're going to... Okay, so I want you to get us to right now, today. Like, you have a record label. Okay, You're still doing comedy. Like, uh, because we're going to talk about all the ancillary jobs that got you to where you are today. but, But get me to today. So currently today, I am technically unemployed. That said, uh, I am the producer and host of my podcast, This Is Rad. That show has Patreon, so I do have some little bit of incomes coming in from that these days. I've been doing that for seven years. That's kind of my flagship thing. I have a side show I started a few years ago called Everything Is Scary, because blank is blank exclamation point unintentionally has turned into part of my podcasting brand. I love it. Uh, I actually... Far too esoteric for this. Everything is scary. Was is I'm a big horror fan, uh, and my dear friend Jen Saunderson, who is a brilliant comedian, she and I became buddies a few years ago. Like I'd known her forever, but then you know when you just all of a sudden you're like, this person I've known forever is now my bestie. And we talk about horror movies a ton. We're both movie insane people. We both love horror movie stuff, and so. At a certain point, I was like, we should just turn this into a show. We're doing this anyways, because I'm a broken person who's like, we could make content out of this. <laughs> Relatable. And eventually, Jen got pregnant during COVID. She did. Bless her. And what's great is I was the fifth or sixth person to find out she was yeah. pregnant because we had business stuff we had to do. And she's like, yo, I got to tell you this thing. And then early on in pregnancies, you know, you don't tell anybody for That's a hot right. minute because you got to see what happens. Yeah. So I'm covering for a pregnancy on the show for all these things. And you can't say they're sick because COVID's happening. Shit. That was a fucking adventure. But I'll so bet. that's my horror podcast. And then I am the producer for the Jackie and Lori show, uh, which is Jackie Cage and Lori Kilmartin, two of, I would argue, the greatest comedians of all time sitting having conversations where uh, somebody the reason podcasting is crazy is you can break rules like you can let two women who are over 45 have a conversation for more than five what? minutes and let people listen to it that's crazy it's, I, it's one of the prides in my life is working on that show I love both of them to death but also like I truly think that like what they are doing on that show is is 
a legacy. Like mm. it's the the amount of information they have on that show for comedians is I think maybe the best resource I've ever heard. That's awesome. It's you know about just the the nitty gritty of it. It's a show that does not explain shit. You either have to know deep cut comedy terms and locations of things, or you are just lost. Wow. Um, but it's it's that's a lot of fun. That's been been keeping me alive. That's the, the you know that's keeping most that's keeping the cell phone paid. Hello. Uh, but. You know, so I do all those things, and then I also have a record label called Radland Records. Uh, I we you know my, I started it a few years ago. I have been self-releasing my records. Uh, I because I did music, I have a sound engineering background to a uh, background to a certain extent, and it kind of has lucked me. I make the joke: if you're listening to this, if you want a skill that will keep you a job. Know how to plug microphones in and run a mixer. So really, you, so real. I have I've never been fully broke because, because I know how to plug microphones in, and somebody somewhere needs you to do that and has more money than you. And that's that. Uh, and so that's so that that I mean I fell into meltdown back in the day. I was a sound tech there again. It was one of those things where it's like right place, right time, right microphones. And so, but so I have recorded all my records and self released them. I come from punk rock, so like stuff like Fugazi is a big influence and stuff like that. Uh, a few years ago, I had two friends, Solange Castro and Tom Goss, two great humans and very funny comedians. And they were both thinking about records. And I kind of was, and I have done a couple and was working on another at that time and said, you know, I'll help you through this. Like I'll produce or whatever, you know, and, and help you get it made. So I started with Solange's and then Tom's right around that same time. And uh, we ended up doing a couple more before Tom's came out. But so I think we did Keith Carey and Jenny Hamilton in between. But it starting with those two, like Solange was like, oh, cool. I'm helping a friend make a record. This is fun. And then I uh, had this dinner with Tom. We were talking about it. And I said, like, dude, you should do a record because people might actually like pay you to do it and make like, like you might actually be able to like get on a label when people give a shit and stuff like that. And he sort of like sat and again, God bless Tom Goss. Like literally was like, yeah, I'd rather do it with you. And Aww. I was like, well, fuck, now I have to start a record label because I got two artists and me. Yeah. And then it evolved into, and again, it, it started as a, there's people I know who are really talented. Let me try to get stuff going. You know, and there's some people where it's like, I mean, Keith Care is one of the funniest human beings in the world and one of my best friends. So like, of course, like I'll, I'll put his things out until he gets a better deal or I'm a skeleton. Okay. And <laughs> then a lot of the rest of them have become like, and the whole philosophy behind Radland Records is comedy is the exact opposite of indie rock. In indie rock, your band is cool until it gets corporate sign off. And then you're kind of no longer as hip because everybody kind of knows the stuff and, you know, it's it's not as fun. In comedy, no one wants to know your name unless you have a corporation signing off on you, it seems like. Acting, and, same thing. And it's so it's wild stuff. And so I have gained an appreciation for a lot of comedians who have been able to DIY stuff, you know, kind of across the board, you know, from Brandy Posey to Doug Stanhope, you know, kind of anybody who's doing it a little different is neat to me. And once I learned, like, it's not hard to make a comedy record and it's not expensive for me to make a comedy record, you know, it became this thing like, well, I constantly complain that the industry doesn't ignores good talent and at any given point in time likes four comedians and just gives four. them every single opportunity instead of spreading it out to the thousands and thousands of funny people out there. And it was like, well, I'm in an okay place in my life. I have an okay job at that juncture. You know, a few years ago, I got laid off during 2020. <laughs> uh, but who didn't I I was like okay I'll put my money where my mouth is and I will start a label and I will do this it won't be grand I'm not I'm not doing entertainment 720 it's not gonna be this grand thing with hats and all this stuff but it's like okay if you are an artist and you want to do a record 
and nobody's fucking with you and I think you're funny. Let's go do this. Because every, I think artist empowerment is really important. And I think a lot of artists don't fit what entertainment sees as what a person can be. Mm. And so it's nice to be able to like show people, not even, you know, and not show, but like, because I love coming from education and stuff like that. I love helping people achieve things that they don't know if they can do or not. You know, my favorite part of every record I've ever produced is the 2 a.m. phone call I get from them a week out, freaked out, like, is this a fucking bad idea? Like, this is, what am I doing? Like, who am I? And I love it because I had that three or four nights before my, my first album recording. And I was on risk and I was running one of the bits that's a story on that show. A friend of mine let me drop in for it. And also on the show is Greg Proops. And Greg Proops is a beautiful, wonderful human being and he's very smart and he's been a big influence on me because it's the idea of like doing smart, elevated, but still like funny stand up has always been kind of attractive to me. And I'd said to him like, man, I'm recording in two days and I got cold feet. And he looked at me and he's like, hey, you remember Blank? Because it was a mutual friend of both of ours. And he was like, they just did their first album at like 44. And I was like, yeah, I know. I was there. It's crazy. They did a great job. He's like, they did a great job. He's like, I have a question for you. Do you want to do your first album at 44? Or by the time you're 44, do you want to be really fucking good at making comedy albums? Wow. And I have, that has been maybe the most seminal piece of advice I've received from somebody in this business. And again, he got a shitload of comedy albums. So it was a real like, hey, I'll do what you do. And so I started picking people up. I started doing stuff. I love people, again, who are oddballs, you know, and and so that's been a fun, weird thing and a little adventure there. And it's uh, me trying to learn how to run a business. Sure. Uh, And so, yeah. And then I think that's all. Oh, and I do stand up and I write a comic book. And yeah. We're doing all those things. So in the show notes, we'll have all of that stuff. Okay. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. We're back. And now it is time for the entrees. Okay, Kyle, this is the section where I ask a bunch of questions. I call it the speed round of questions. It's not a speed round. Tell stories. Do your thing. But they're all kind of the same standard questions that the audience has gotten used to hearing. This is where we talk about the negative stuff. But it's always better. Oh, I love it. We all do. Okay, what was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes like Ooh, out okay. of your... Because some people say like paper route, babysitting, whatever. That so can be true, but... my first job ever was in college. Okay. I was a research assistant for the Human Development Program. Boring as fuck? Kind of fun. Really? But I'm a dork. Like, I love this stuff. And so, like, human development, again, despite being a writer the whole time, for me, what was so fun about college is I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to know about blank. So, let me take a thing and be on the hook for a grade for it. So, like, I took, like, human development and psychology and all these things. Uh, But so, for the human development, like, studying lifespan and all these kinds of things and the different you know, observation you can make over was just, was an interesting, but also the job was 90% making photocopies while I listened to the dead Kennedys. Oh wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. It was, was just hold up in my little space with my first iPod. Just like, yeah, California Uber Alice. Ah, I understand how all of this stuff works. <laughs> What's the most interesting thing you learned doing that job? Uh, how to work a photocopier. That's it. That's boring. That's not what I thought you were going to say, Kyle. Come on. All right. How many customer service jobs have you had total? Here we go. So two, I want to say that's it. I Bevmo. Okay. And then if you, this is where the larger conversation goes is education. I a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent. 99% of my jobs before entertainment are education. Okay. Now this is where, okay. Pause. 
So you had said in the summer after, or, so summer, go. okay, so you were a TA after school. Well, you got the, the so phone call. I have those two jobs, okay. BevMo and the school. You have I, two offers. Do you take offers. both jobs? I take both jobs. Okay, because you're I'm, like, fuck it, I need the money. Yeah. So do you tell BevMo I can only work nights? Or, yes, well, the TA was for after school? Well, I, yeah, I said I said nights and weekends. You know, okay. after seven on weeknights and you can have me, uh, how much is the weekend? So they did. I did a run, again, not unlike the other ones. I did, uh, I think it was seven months where I did not have a day off between both jobs. That's uh, too much, Kyle. It was wild. I like, This is the weird thing. Like Once I started working, I just started working all the time. Yeah, uh, that's relatable. It's, yeah. It, it, one day I'll not be behind the eight ball. Uh, <laughs> but, so I take these two gigs and BevMo is, is you know, a fascinating place because it's just an upscale liquor store. Uh, it's in Simi Valley, so you're basically just dealing with wine alcoholic ladies. It's also a chain for people not in Southern California. It's a, you can there's Bevmos everywhere, and so you do go strictly for basically yeah, just like it's liquor sh- and short for beverages and more. And yeah, it's right. just just all different kinds of liquor of various levels. And the funniest thing was they had just finished their run of classes learning how to do stuff. So I had to kind of make some, because I am not a big drinker. And so I like eventually got some pretty good understandings. The funniest one though for me is the wine, because even after I learned stuff, there's like six words people want to hear and you just cycle them at them until you see which one they react to. And then you lead them to the thing you've defaulted there. So it's like sweet, buttery, earthy notes, uh, uh, dry, <laughs> and uh, there was something else, but it was those because if they if they wanted wine but clearly like didn't like wine, you'd send them to the Riesling area. Obviously, everybody likes candy German wine, <laughs> uh, don't we? And then you know, but most of the time it was just you said like buttery or like light and crisp in the summertime, and then they're like, cool. and they're just like fantastic. We don't know, and we'll never know the difference. The, and then the other one was explaining to people that like uh, Marilyn Manson's branded absinthe is not actually absinthe because it doesn't have wormwood in it. Yeah, and it's also not legal in this country, exactly. so you can't actually and do so, that. But, but many places, it's it's the Delta 8 of, of absinthe, where it's like, it's not quite the same, that's that synthetic weed. Oh God, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking uh, about. But so, so yeah, so, so that, that was one gig and so that was nights and weekends and, and weird shit. When you say wine drunk ladies though, like how are you being hyperbolic or you'd really like people, women would come in and they'd like, you know what they wanted. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's, <sighs> it's almost all of them knew what they wanted. Uh, it's, it's, you, it was, you had regulars, you know, you Oof. had, you know, they had that nice couple that were really, really sweet and were a lot of fun and made some conversations and they are buying two cases of wine a week. Woo! Come on. Uh, and then you do the five cent sale and nobody understood how the five cent sale worked. How does it work? Twice I don't... a year, there are 20 marked types of bottles of wine. And if you buy one, you get a second for a nickel because it can't be free because the California redemption, you know, element of the five cents. I don't know this. It's oh, because like, yeah. the bottle has to be paid. Exactly. Oh, got it. Got it. And got it. So I didn't know why that, that's why they charge. Yeah. And people would walk in and go like, so, so basically what they would do is they would walk in with a walk up to the counter with like an $80 bottle of scotch and have two of them and go like one of these is free right or they'd show up with a one of the marked bottles of wine and an 80 dollar bottle of scotch and go i want the scotch to be free cool doesn't everybody and and then and then when you'd explain to them that they don't understand the process they would yell at you of course uh i remember one kid i i carded him and uh he he made a whole scene and yelled this is bullshitty so he wasn't 21 no he certainly wasn't yeah he was like 13 and a half and it was yeah it was one of those ones where i'm like man you misunderstand i don't care like the (laughs) the funniest too is like 
people misunderstand when you work there because you're working at a fancy liquor store. You work every holiday. Oh, And you brutal. give beer and sell beer and shit to people who are going to parties that you're not going to because you're here until 10. Ugh. Uh, I closed New Year's 2010 and then opened New Year's Day 2010. No, you didn't. You had to do a clopen? I did a clo- yeah, I did a clopen for New Year's. Ew. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a dark chunk of time. But, I'll uh, bet. So, okay. So, you know, BevMo was wild. I Oh, I had a manager who was an 80s comic. No, and so that makes me sad. And so it felt like this haunting vision of like, oh, God, is this where My I end future. up? My future. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those ones where it was like a mixed bag because like I look back and he definitely was a comic because like there was definitely like that, that you know, it's terrible to say like that lack of boundaries that sort of like throwing things at. And so like because I, I guess he used to work with uh, Louis Anderson and stuff like that, like really old 80s comic. But like. So, you know, it was, was people like that. And so it was, was, was a perfectly, I hated it. I hated every second I was inside of Bevmo. Really? But, and I'm far enough away now I can say this. The one trick I figured out is on Saturdays they had the wine tasting. And that's how I would get to go learn about the different wines is that I could go and just try all, you know, they would do six wines every Saturday that you could have like a little cup of. And people would come in, show their ID and do that. Uh, so when you were on your first break, you do it. Well, I figured out pretty quick into that run that if you just didn't eat breakfast before you went in for an opening <laughs> gig, and then you went and wine ran back there and shotgunned all six uh, wines, you felt real toasty. Mad- you could be a little fucking buzzed till lunch. Yeah, you could. And it was great. And so that was that was every. I mean, that's probably the most serious drinking I've ever. I mean, this whole time period is the most drinking I ever did. But like that particular drunk is like literally just every Saturday for a year. By 11 o'clock, I was a little drunk on Saturdays. I mean, I, listen, to get through so many jobs, that is true for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Can't be falling down because you got to interact with humans. You got to do something. Yeah. Okay. So you wait, how and long? So, uh, so that was about a year. A okay. Year. And I'll, that's, so that's all of that. That's, that's okay. all the BevMo stuff. You know, lots of people. I'll get to school now, though, because that's the money thing for this. Okay, but hold on. We are going to go to school, but I want to ask you one more question with BevMo. Yeah. So was there ever a situation where, because I don't know, as a bartender in California, I know the laws for, like, over-serving or whatever. Is there an overselling policy of, like, if someone goes in to buy six I cases? I don't think so. I didn't think so either. And and part of it is because it's harder, like, in a bar, it's immediate They're consuming, yep, that's Whereas right. Whereas for here, it's they could be buying for sustained for a time. Yeah. So, like, and, and, mo- and again, most of the time, with shit like that it's it's you're very rarely seeing somebody buy like 20 bottles of vodka you know you, yeah. you never really have the Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas cart Ooh. but you do see like like I said those nice couples where it's like look you guys are a lot of fun but you're going through 24 bottles of wine a week that's too much wine that's too much wine that's, that's 12 a piece Ooh, unless you run in a bar on, on the other hand can you imagine how hard they party? Oh my God, they must be like, so much fun. They, they must have the grossest hot tub. Yeah. Oh God. And <laughs> all of the STDs. Yeah. How many throuples they've been in. Okay, so sorry. So, okay, so you, so BevMo is right after college. You're also TAing at the time in South Central? No, that's after. That's, that's after that's BevMo. That's the end of this story. Here we go. Is So this is all takes place in what I call my last year. And it's, <laughs> it's from spring 2009 to spring 2010, basically. And it's that summer trying to find the things. And then I start working at the BevMo. And BevMo was well and good. But the main job that that kind of became my life was working at the school. And the school, I'll keep the name out of it because it's a fucking complicated place. Uh, It was a private school. 
it was I have a joke on my album I'm a person that where I describe it where it is uh, some private schools are very fancy places where you go for a high education and some private schools are places where you send your kids to avoid Latinos and that was the school that I worked at wow Uh, it was yeah it was a very like affluent conservative people for the most part and then occasionally like the real artsy weirdo where it's like oh you're like a money artist Uh, you know and basically I sat down for the interview and uh, they said so what we're looking for we need somebody for lunch and after school duty to basically be like the one person liaison for our middle school class because the school went from from k to eight what does the liaison do that like what does that even basically just be the person who like they are my kids like Uh, i am respond like i am the main adult besides their teachers who's going to be in charge or with these kids and stuff like that okay and they're like we like that you're tall you know, for those who don't know, listening, I'm six foot six, so I'm a giant, goofy, big bird of a man. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they liked that I was tall, so I could be imposing, that I was a dude. And and so they're like, you know, it seems like you, they might listen to you. It's like, are do you, you know, have thoughts on working with middle school kids? It's a specific kind of job. Sure is. And what's weird is like, right? I did a little bit of like teaching in college because I had taught like a graduation retention class I was a part of this like program that had been helpful for me so I'm a real big pay it forward guy because it was like I was in this program like you got help with picking your classes if you did a bunch of community service and then so I like had done that a bunch and so I was like oh let me run a class just to see what's that that's like because I love trying things and so at some point I like I was still in the phase where I'm just like ah you know do I want kids do I like kids you know I I knew some people I'd been around a little bit of it you know it was weird to be responsible you know like the first time you're 20 and you're around a kid you're like oh shit I'm the grown up I don't get to be the fuck up now (laughs) shit shit help and so I'm like sure let's do this and it's funny because then they give you the rundown once I took the job I mean you do all this training you do background checks you do all that kind of stuff but then what was even funnier is they give me the talk of like hey you know first of all you're gonna have like the kids are gonna be you know wild and stuff like that you know you just gotta take the authority but they're also look man there's going to be a lot of moms at the school and many of them are going to try to fuck you. Are you joking? You got to not fuck these moms. <laughs> and in my brain, I was just like, damn it. Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. They truly yes. had to have had, a, they didn't don't say bang don't the fuck moms. these moms. They put it a little more gracefully. But it was the, the was message the was don't bang was, these people. Yes. Was, what? Was that, that I, they were having this much of a problem. Yes. Get um, the fuck out of here. It, it, I think it's more. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't think they actually like, I don't think there was a ton of full tilt intercourse that would occur, <laughs> but there is a lot of like, I mean, a lot of them are wealthy, sure. lonely, often a little drunk housewives and BMWs sure. who are looking for fun. And so they will shamelessly flirt or just like, you know, it was, it was, it was an interesting part of the dynamic. I mean, it's an ego boost, but wait, so this is in the middle of South Central. I think a lot no, no, of, no, no, this is in Simi Valley. Oh, South Central. okay. So here I'll go, I'll cut to the end. So it all makes sense. I'm so you. sorry. So no, no, I, don't cut to the end. So you get the, you get the lecture. Okay. Yeah. And I'm in Simi Valley. Valley. So okay. both these jobs are in Simi where okay. I live and I had gone from Long Beach in college and I had to then move back in with my parents. Okay. Well, relatable. Uh, yeah. And mm. so, so then I'm working, the, I'm living at home and I'm working these two jobs. And so it's maybe 24 kids or something like that in this class. It's very small and it's sixth, seventh and eighth graders. There's, there's like eight, eighth graders, I think like 12 seventh graders and like, I don't know, 13 sixth graders or whatever. That math and doesn't add up. I, you know, and the idea was be authoritative. A lot of the people who worked at the school had like animal names because the school was also a summer camp in the summer. Oh boy. But I was Mr. Clark. They did because I was with the older kids, I didn't have a name like that. Tiger Boy. Uh, I mean, there was who would we have? We had Zebra and Meadow and Flamingo. See ya. Uh, 
And so, yeah, I eventually got one. I'll get there. Oh, but uh, so I, I start working the school and I have these kids and, you know, it's it's I've never worked with kids before. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I sort of go in. And I'm like, OK, I'll just be an authority figure, you know, and, and see what the bat. Wait, how did you answer the question of like, hey, you can't bang these moms? Were I was just like, like, cool, I, was I won't. The, I was like tough affair. And then in my head, I'm like, man, I will totally bang one of these moms. <laughs> Uh, never happened. Uh, Bummer. You know, Missed opportunity. But go ahead. So. For the best, but also Bummer. nuts. Okay, uh, so you're you're like so, I'll be an authority figure. Yeah, and so I go in and I'm I'm you know terrified. I don't know what any of this is, but I am I am a, a you know making making short films on the weekends with people and doing this kind of stuff. And then also like I had a bunch of other friends who were living at home, and I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding crazy intense. One of the real running themes when I was in college with my friends back home, because I have a very tight group of friends from high school who very much stayed in touch and stuff like that. And, and we were all in the punk scene together and we just did a lot of stuff. We were all in bands and, and wrote and stuff like that. And then right after high school, almost all of them got addicted to heroin. Well, sure. I had three As friends in- go to prison in one week on heroin related charges. Got to a different situation. That was a wild week. Uh, sounds like it. Uh, uh, man, it was was car crash, robbery, uh, car crash and two robberies. It was wild. How did you avoid getting sucked I into that into vortex? Heroin. I yeah, didn't how? like I don't like downers. I don't uh, drink. I never really liked pills. Like if you can go fast or you can see weird stuff that's not there, I'm listening. But like if you're going <laughs> slow and laying down, I'm like, no, thank you. Okay. I would like to move fast or feel insane. That, uh, often relatable. both. <laughs> but like, <laughs> uh, you know, and now I'm just like, I just want my back to not hurt and to, for people to be <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> also, somebody iced my knees. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, uh, you know, I start working with these kids and it's one of those things where it's like people even listening. There is, you know, most people in life spend most of their effort trying to avoid middle schoolers. Mm. They are, you know, heinous, the most feared humans on the planet. Because they're mean. You know, it's like middle schoolers and then ISIS. Yep. <laughs> and so I found pretty early on that I my specialty, the thing I am best at in the world of education is goddamn middle schoolers. Really? I get them in a way that I find that many adults do not. Why? Um, I think in some ways I never stopped being a middle schooler. Oh, fair enough. Um, you know, I'm still very sad and feel frustrated and wish I was out of my parents' house. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it was, it was this weird thing of, I found across teaching, my secret tools were a twofold thing. One, being funny and like a little little sarcastic to them, specifically to middle schoolers. I've I've worked with elementary school kids. I've worked with high school kids. The only place that that the sarcasm stuff really works is middle school. Okay, and then figure out they're in a weird place because they're half little kid, half grown up, yeah. and everything is confusing. Yeah, and everybody hates you. That's you know, right. you forget until like once I was there and it was like, oh, literally every teacher in the school hates these kids because they are middle school kids. And I found very quickly, occasionally. When I treated somebody like a person, like a kid, all of a sudden I am the coolest person at this school yeah. because I for a second was showed kindness or empathy. Jesus. And so for the most like they became my life. You know, I was working so much that even, you know, I was seeing friends and doing stuff, but like these were the people I spent 90% of 2009, 2010 with is these like 28 kids. Oh wow. And 
you know, they all have lives. They all have things they're going through and I'm seeing them every day. I'm there as they're going through them. So it was this very odd relationship and it's, it's, I've come to discover like that is part of the weirdness of teaching is you have these brief periods of time where you have these incredibly intense relationships mm. with these people who are going to disappear. It's oh. the secret brutalist part of teaching is yeah. you really fall in love with a group of people and then they are just gone and them being out of your life means you did your job. Wow. And so like when I had these kids and I, I keep in touch with a few of them here and there and stuff like that. And, you know, they've all largely I mean, I was going to say they all turned into a couple of them piece of shit. Sure. But like some of the other ones were fine. Um, but even that was neat. Like I like one of the one of the girls who was one of my favorites just because she was real pop culture savvy and she was a fucking sarcastic asshole right back. Uh, and I, I distinctly remember like her and this other girl were friends. And this other girl is like rich and pretty and the daughter of a cop and this other one's like gonna go be a future artist and it's weird watching this where like oh my god i'm watching the last period of time where you guys are friends really uh because like you're gonna go down real different paths uh, uh and that's a, you know a very much a kid thing that's fun to observe sure. i had another like being able to clock that my favorite one of those i ever saw is uh the movie theater in our town is a pretty run-of-the-mill theater but they started many years ago getting one theater that would do like whatever the art house movie of the time is and they got spring breakers which is a movie i love and i went and saw it there because i was like they're playing a fucking harmony corinne movie in my hometown on a friday night who is gonna be there besides me <laughs> and i, I go in and it's me and all high school senior girls who are seeing the selena gomez r-rated movie oh my god and then we proceed to watch spring breakers a challenging art film at the best of times <laughs> and as we are walking out i am watching a thousand 18 year old girls be fucking furious that they just watched this piece of shit what the <laughs> fuck was that it had no plot just girls <laughs> fucking shooting people in pink ski masks and i'm watching one group and it's like four girls and three girls are berating the fourth girl because she said she liked the movie jesus and what's funny is i'm like oh my god you're gonna go to college in like a month and you're never gonna talk to any of these three people again yeah like this is you're gonna all of a sudden meet cool people and just be like oh i don't have to hang out with them i don't have to pretend that i dig all those things like deuces and so you know seen a lot of that but like they just you know they're little people and they got hopes and dreams and they care about stuff and they get excited and what was cool is like they discover stuff and they discover that I know stuff about stuff. Like I, I became the king of seventh grade boys when they learned I know shit about Star Wars and Assassin's Creed. Oh my God. Like once they knew that and then the fact that like they liked it but it had never occurred to them you could make fun of stuff you like. Aww. So I'd start busting on Star Wars and they're literally like oh my God this guy's a fucking genius. Wow. Like and and so that was fun. I had like you know there were like f- this one table was the nerd kids. It was like the one gay kid and like the kid who drew pictures of Spanish galleons and the girl who was writing a novel uh, and and the kid who was real into Pokemon or whatever. And like, so they were some of my favorites because we just sit at the table and they knew stuff or we could bullshit back and forth about anime and stuff like that. And I remember like one day calling them the nerd table and they took offense. I was like, guys, I'm sitting at your table. <laughs> I am one of you. Um, and so it, that, that year was a wild run because it was just, I had gone from guy who was, was just a pretentious hipster with no money and fresh out of college, you know, failed music career. Comedy hasn't quite started yet. Don't, doesn't know who he is. And what happens to me, I get thrown into a world where my ego is just shattered because you know, who doesn't think a 22 year old is cool under any circumstances, every 13 year old on the planet, there's nothing you have to offer them. You know, they're just like, Oh cool. You like pavement. Fuck 
off. off and your feelings are constantly hurt by them. But weirdest thing about all this time, I curse like a sailor. We've heard this on the thing. Um, I can't swear there. So I have to start finding words to replace things. And the word I started using all the time was rad. No way. My kids made fun of me. So I became the rad guy. So literally, this is rad came from once I was there. Eventually, I signed up for Twitter while I was working there. So I changed my Twitter name was Kyle Clark is rad just because I was like, ah, it's a joke for me and the kids. Like, it's a fun thing marking that time. And then that just is now my brand in a big, bad way of just like, it's so weird to be kind of associated with a word yeah. that on top of that is a thing that I literally just did because I couldn't say shit at work. Sure. Uh, you know, except for the time I was, we were sitting after. So basically middle school, I watched them while they were eating and then let them out to play and then like hung out and made sure nobody broke their face playing dodgeball and shit. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, uh, because it's a private school, it's because many parents uh, are workaholics who are never going to see their children. Mm -hmm. And so I had all the kids with crazy busy parents who, you know, from after school to usually like six o'clock or so, you know, would still be there. And so I'd help them with homework. But then also like a lot of times you're just keeping them company, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And so it was became this fun mix of like I'm helping with all this, but also like again, even more so than the whole of the eighth grade, there's this group of about 12, 13 kids that I am with for like four hours every day in a room with after school, you know, part of which they're trying to work, but also part of which they're just trying to like not be bored and do something and not get in trouble. And I was always kind of fascinated because like, and it's, this has happened with a lot of jobs. It's why I kind of like, like going my own way is I find that like people tell you not, tell me not to do a thing a certain way. And then I do it and it super works. And then you look back at that person and go, see, like, why did you, we, I wouldn't have done this if I had listened to you. Like, yeah. and you've done nothing. <laughs> but, uh, and so one of the things that happened is like, I, I do think of myself as a bit of an advocate for kids and not in a, like they shouldn't be kidnapped, but more in just the like kids <laughs> are shouldn't. smart. Yeah, they definitely shouldn't. But like, uh, hard stance I'm taking. Don't kidnap children. <laughs> Facts. Uh, but like, they have personalities, they have likes, they have feelings and They're stuff humans. like that. And, yeah. and I liked knowing them and knowing those kinds of things. And eventually it became the thing too of like, they were pretty funny and they really started to figure me out. And mm. that's when we really got a perfect system is when we could really game each other. Sure. Cause they knew shit that I would just immediately shoot down. But they also knew that there were things if they could figure out how to sell it. I was not a teacher and I was not a grown up. So if the idea was funny or stupid, there was a good chance I'd say yes. They had because to pitch it though. No one's paying attention. Sure. And like nothing if it was gonna be dangerous sure, or like of fucked up. But yeah. like, you know, like one of the examples I always think of is like we were like I you know, there were times where it was like too hot to go outside. So you just have to stay in. And so like I have tons of kids' movies because I was a kid, you know, and also, you know, a, a fucking dork. <laughs> and so like I would start bringing in movies sometimes. We'd watch those. And like I remember distinct one is I brought in the Princess Bride. Oh. And we're watching the Princess Bride, but as we start it, they yell, Can we watch it in French? <laughs> and I go, Yeah, but I'm gonna put the English subtitles on. So if anybody wants to follow, they can do that. And they're like, tough buffet. And so I put it on. Well about 30 minutes in, the teacher in the next room comes over. And she's like, are you watching a French film? And I was like, no, no, we're watching Princess Bride. We put French on. And she's like, why? I'm like, because who cares? Like, Because there are no rules. But an, but an adult, a real grown-up, would be like, no, that's frivolous and stupid. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, that's frivolous and stupid. Let's 100% do that. Yeah. Because it affects nothing. No one. Uh, yeah. Like, and, and, and now they have to live in the bit. 
Ooh. Like they have to continue to watch the movie. Yeah, in they French can't be like, subtitles. all right, we I'm did like, it. All right, guys, but you're turning this movie into Jules and Jim, friend. <laughs> uh, and so, like, that was neat. Was getting, and then eventually became so on Fridays they don't have homework. So now I really have to figure out bullshit to do with them. And again, it turned into like one time we made a movie and I turned them Aww. into a crew and gave my camera and we shot a weekend at Clarkie's where they kill me and then have to pretend that I'm still teaching them. Wow. Uh, and so just like fun shit like that. But like the highlight one was uh, I had forgotten to think of an activity and was just like, oh, God, what am I going to do? And then, so the school is a, su- a summer camp in the summer. And one of the rooms they have at the summer camp is a video game room that had like Guitar Hero and Mario Party and Dance Dance Revolution. Remember, wealthy children. Hello. Um, and in the summertime, I was in charge of all that stuff because, again, know how to do tech. I'm the one guy who plays video games in the entire school so I can set up a GameCube. And so I was like, wait a minute. I think I like I know where the keys are to the like summer activities closet. And, and it's where they keep like the TVs, you know, on the yeah, reels yeah. and stuff like schools have. Yeah. And so I went and grabbed Guitar Hero, the TV, and a big bag of candy. Oh, my God. You were their and, favorite immediately. And my kids are standing there in their sixth period class. They're about 20 minutes away from being set out. And they they're can standing see it. in front of a class because they're like waiting to go back in because they'd walk the library or some shit. And they, they yell as I'm coming around the corner, like, what are we doing for Friday? And then as I walk past, I'm just pushing a TV with Guitar Hero stuff and candy. And you're just sitting there, yeah! <laughs> and then, like, we're playing it. And then, like, and again, I'm in, like, like fucking, man, this is great. And so eventually, but they're playing stuff and they're playing stuff I don't want to listen to. So eventually I go, like, I have a crisp five American dollar bill for the first person to bring me at least a four star on Raining Blood from Slayer. <laughs> And then what was even funnier, so they're playing through and they're like, this is really hard. But like one of the kids, uh, you know, who is a fairly sheltered young man, he was the one who liked to draw Spanish galleons. I fucking love that kid. He was a nerd and a half in the best kind of way, but just zero pop culture savvy in the slightest. But he starts hearing that dun, 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 like opening riff to Raining Blood. And you just see him go, what is this? Aww. And I was like, that's Slayer, son. Things just change for you. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. And so like so much stuff like that. So I work those two jobs for a year. There's a million. I like it's it's a bad sitcom. There's so many things I got sucked into. They would do a Alice in Wonderland day. I don't remember what the theme was, but I was the Mad Hatter for many for for all those uh, Isn't middle school a little old for that? Probably. Well, remember it went kindergarten to oh, uh, eighth oh, grade. Oh, that's so, right. So I also right. had a third grade class that I ran their lunch too as a bonus. And those kids were cool as hell too. But like it was a different game than the others. Like, sure. And like occasionally I do kindergarten. And kindergarten's the funniest because me in a kindergarten playground is as if the fun showed up. Oh. Because like all they want is for me to chase them around and make monster noises. Oh, I'm going to cry. And, uh, holy shit. Like, like literally, because at first they were like, oh, he's big and scary. But like once they figured out that I'm a fun machine, literally, because I didn't do kindergarten all the time. When yeah. If I was watching my, my third graders and they needed somebody to fill, there were two of us. So they would send me over. I think it was usually like I was who got sent when somebody had to pee. Ah. Uh, and so like I went over there and eventually when I'd go in, like literally the teachers would laugh because you could tell when I got there to cover for somebody because the kids would just cheer. Oh, cry. Because I'm going to run around and do all the stuff. And because I love making a monster town and going, I'm going to eat you. Yeah. Uh, and then, but then the other funny thing with those is that uh, the biggest problem I would have when kindergartners were around is that they saw my arms as jungle vine ropes. Oh yeah, that's and what And they would yeah. leap and, and, 
early on it was can you grab his hand and swing across with that before he notices that he's being accosted and then that jumped to them grabbing my arm and then whipping their legs and trying to climb me batman 60s batman style ow big time ow yeah well i mean like they weigh 40 pounds and i'm a giant monster person so it's mostly <laughs> just a, like please stop like yeah. please stop climbing me <laughs> um but and so yeah so i did that all for a year and then when we get to 2000, end of 2000, you know, 10, 10 or, or midway through the year, I, my mom, so my mom has worked in education for most of my life. You know, she worked for a title one program, which is helping English as a second language students awesome. get caught up to, yeah. to, you know, go with that. And so, you know, she's worked in it forever and her best friend for many years was the president of the school board. So again, I've, it's funny. I never thought about working in education despite most of my life being surrounded by like education stuff, you know, not like academia, but like we're all wearing shirts that are relay for life or, or, you know, here's the track and field day kind of shit. Um, and so then, uh, my mom and, and her friend sit me down one day and pitch like, Hey, here's the thought. You're kind of stuck in a spot right now. You don't know what you're looking for, but like this thing's going on. You know, there is still some money left from that education thing. It seems like nobody's going to use it. Why don't you, go get a teaching credential and then you can do any number of things. Then they're like, you know, you can go be a sub, you can go do all these other things. Why don't you kind of take a look at that? They're like, worst case scenario, you're a professional teacher and you can buy a home. Hello. Um, and I was like, ugh. Um, <laughs> no, but, thank you. Uh, and so I was like, sure. So I start looking around and I apply to a couple of things. And one of the ones I apply to is UCLA Rossier School 13 month master's education program. And I throw it out there going like, Sure, USC, this Cal State Long Beach educated boy is going to make it to like this place to do this stuff. And lo and behold, I get into the program. Wow. And so it is an 18 or yeah, 18 month program. No, 13 month program. Yeah. And so I started in May 2010 and, and start going. And the, you know, you are basically, it's a whole litany of classes. And then you do two rounds of student teaching. And the first round is, uh, you know, you do a middle school and a high school. Cause I went to get my credential in secondary education, English. And I ended up teaching, uh, at, uh, what is it? Jefferson, Jefferson high school in South central for high school. And then, uh, Clinton middle school also in South central for middle school. And both were wild. Both were very different rides. Uh, I'm going to pause you right there uh, because, okay, so how folks, long are we doing? Well, well, you're going to keep going. So folks, uh, that is where we're, how long do you have? Uh, oh, I got infinite time. Okay, great. Uh, folks, we are going to pause there with part one because uh, Kyle has a bunch of stories that we... halfway through. Yeah. Uh, he has a bunch of stories that we want to hear about the wild ride that was being a teacher in South Central. And um, yeah, so that is the end of part one. Uh, Kyle, plug your socials real quick. Oh, yes. Uh, I am at Kyle Clark is Rad on Twitter and Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram these days. Uh, I post a lot of... I started doing artwork during COVID and I post show stuff there. So Amazing. Yeah. They'll at find Kyle you there. All right. And then... Folks, tune in next week, same time, same bad place, and we will—you'll get to hear part two with Mr. Kyle Clark uh, of internet slash teaching slash comedy fame. You heard his intro in this episode. We will not do his intro again next week. Doesn't matter. I don't need to say this. I'm gonna edit this out. And uh, okay, folks, thank you so much for listening. That's gonna do it for us here this week at Service from Hell. We'll catch y'all next week again with Mr. Kyle Clark. Thank you, folks, so much for listening. Good night. Bye.